0: bibles you can turn to the book of acts and uh, as well if you're sitting on the end seat of of the row to my left your right you can pick up the worship roster and just during the message at some point pass that down uh, we forgot about that but that's all right and so it's going to be a great day and uh, any information that you receive that's on your bulletin each week is available online under weekly updates and so you can check there uh, just as a reminder of the address for the women's meeting and the men's meeting in the cafe at Wegmans on Thursday. And then uh, if you uh, would like to be water baptized or would like to have a child dedicated, we're going to have a really special service. Um, The first Sunday of the month of June is going to be outside, and we've rented a a large tent and a bunch of chairs. And uh, we're going to have just a celebration day. I just want to keep that in front of you uh, as we celebrate what God's doing. We'll be having water baptisms in the pool here at Toph Trees, and then uh, having baby dedications. It'll just be a special day, so the first Sunday uh, in, the month, in the month of June. So looking forward to that. We've been in a series uh, on the Book of Acts over the last couple weeks that we're going to continue moving forward, and, and I want to encourage you as well uh, Sunday evenings to catch the AD uh, series that's on NBC. You know, when I had planned on, on sharing out of the Book of Acts, I did not necessarily realize that, that they would be walking through the Book of Acts on that, on that show, I knew that it was going to start with Jesus's death and resurrection. But it's just kind of neat how that has come together. <clears throat> and so, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, beginning in this series. For those of you that weren't here, we began by talking about that Jesus had uh, died. He was placed in the tomb. He was resurrected from the dead. And before he ascends into heaven, he speaks with his disciples and he gives them clear as a clear sense of purpose that they were to tell everybody about Jesus. We see. That he equipped them with his spirit. And then we begin seeing the disciples step out and they're ministering with, with great boldness. And we see a variety of different miracles that are taking place. Last week, we talked about the, the fact that God does not call you, nor does he call me, to really build anything, but he calls us to be many things. And so we talked about the spirit empowered Christian community in the book of Acts that we saw in the early church, which I believe is our model for ministry moving forward. And, and we said that they were just de- devoted to the apostles' teaching, that there was this hunger for God's word. There was fellowship, this idea of corn and knee. It was partnership, like in a marriage, that they were committed to one another. And then we talked about the, the attitude that they had with prayer, that prayer was their lifeline. And that the three characteristics that marked this early church were three things that... Uh, This idea of selflessness, that they were caring for one another, that there was reverential awe. They they loved and and appreciated and didn't want to lose what God was doing through their lives. And then they were celebrating uh, what he was doing in their midst as well. And so would you stand this morning as we read uh, from the New Living Translation of the Bible, Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 33. It says, Now he is exalted, say exalted. To the highest place of honor in heaven, so this is referring to Jesus at god 's right hand, the right hand represents three things: it represents a position of power, authority, a power and authority it represents so god he's seated at god 's right hand, and the Father promised as He had promised, He gave them the Holy Spirit to pour out, say pour out upon us just as you see. And you hear today. And so the Bible is talking about Jesus, that he's now seated at God's right hand, and he has the Holy Spirit that he's pouring out. We continue on. It says that Peter's words, as Peter's speaking, pierced their hearts deeply. They said to him and the other apostles, what should we do? Peter says, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the, give, for the forgiveness of your sins And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just thank you for your word today. Lord, your word is amazing. Lord, the grass withers. Lord, the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. And Lord, we come to your word today. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to each person that's here today on the subject of the Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, we would leave this place being more like you. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may uh, be seated. We see at the beginning of time in the book of Genesis that the Holy Spirit is present. We see now in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is among the early church and he's moving. And today I want to talk to you on the subject of the Holy Spirit. And before we get to the Holy Spirit and the functions of the Holy Spirit, I want to share with you what I believe the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing. People that are anti-Trinitarian and specifically Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they believe that the Holy Spirit is not a real person. They'll say that it's an it, it's a thing. And what they'll do is they'll pull apart and they'll isolate one specific Greek uh, word for the Holy Spirit. And they'll say that it's nothing more than a kind of wind or it's God's active force, but it's certainly not a person. And I would say if you were to use that same logic and you would apply that to angels, the devil, and demons, that basically they would agree that they're nothing more than this just kind of hot, nebulous sort of energy force that's out there in the world today. But I don't know about you. I've heard people say before, you know, they refer to the Holy Spirit as if it's an it or it's wind or some random thing. And two verses that I want to challenge you to, to memorize related to this is in 2 John 14, 16, where we see the Holy Spirit, God, one God in three persons represented here in 2 John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father. So it's talking about Jesus asking the Father God, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And so we see clearly the Trinity that's represented in this verse. And the question I would ask is, how can an impersonal force take the place of divine Jesus and dwell within the life of, and exist in the life of every believer if this person wasn't personal or divine or omnipresent. The second verse that I want to challenge you to, to think about is Revelation twenty two seventeen. 17. It says that the spirit and the bride says, Come, and let one who hears say, Come. As Christians, we clearly understand that the bride of Christ represents his church. It represents followers of Jesus. And what I would say is likewise, the spirit that's portrayed in this verse that's offering this invitation to come is clear evidence of personality. There are two verses that I think you could use if you were speaking to someone on the subject of the Holy Spirit and they said it's nothing more than just kind of wind. We see in the book of Genesis from the beginning of time, Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This Hebrew word, ruach, is an awesome, and it's a fascinating word. It's kind of the idea or the concept of, that we get of an eagle that's kind of hovering over, gently hovering over a nest, waiting for the Father's command. So it's talking about the Spirit of God in the book of Genesis that he's essentially hovering over, and he's waiting For the Father to speak forth, let there be light, let there be X, Y, and Z that we read in in Genesis. Waiting for the Father's decree. The Holy Spirit is clearly God. We are a church that believes in the Trinity. One God, three people, three coexist or co-eternal, co-equal persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is God's free gift to each and every believer that he existed in the book of Genesis from the beginning of time. He was around us that at salvation. He comes and he dwells within us. And now in the book of acts, we see that he's poured out upon us in chapter two, verse 33. It's the, it's the reality that the spirit of God dwells within the life of a believer. And when you get this idea and this principle as a Christian, it will transform absolutely every area of your life. Because the reality is this, that you're never alone. And this idea can sound creepy. It can sound awkward. Perhaps you grew up maybe in a church where the pastor talked a lot about God's presence is with you, you know. And you're, maybe you grew up in a Christian home and your parents, you know, you'd leave to go out on a date. And they'd say, don't forget, God's presence is with you. you, you. And it's basically like God's watching, don't screw up. He's going to pounce on you like a lion on a piece of fresh meat. And, and the truth is that he is with us. But it's not the idea that, you know, we've got to constantly be kind of escaping him or looking behind us like he's stalking us. But the Holy Spirit is a wonderful, amazing gift to you and I as believers. And you can never underestimate the importance and the role and the divine actions of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And when you get this, it transforms absolutely every area of your thinking, every area of your decision-making process, every area of your life. Just a couple divine actions of the Holy Spirit that are clearly referenced in Scripture that he helps us, guides us, teaches us, speaks to us, reveals things to us. The Holy Spirit instructs us. He testifies of Jesus. He comforts, calls, and fills us. He strengthens and prays for us. He prophesies through us. He bears witnesses, witness to the truth. The Bible says the Holy Spirit brings joy, freedom, helps us to obey. He calls For Jesus' return, the Holy Spirit transforms lives, lives in us, frees us, renews us, produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. He gives gifts, leads us, convicts us, sanctifies us, empowers us, unites us, seals us, and gives us access to the Father. For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And so what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to break down each and every one of these. And we're just going to talk about some scriptural references And you'll be out of here by about 6 o'clock, all right? (laughs) Unfortunately, we'll cover five today for the sake of time. And please forgive my voice this morning. I think it had to do with me being outside in the hail with no shoes on. But it was a fun time for my kids. I want to share with you five functions of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer this morning. And then maybe we'll pick up and we'll continue on down the road. The first is that the Holy Spirit restores you and I to God. Titus 3.1 says that he saved us not because of the good things that we did, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins and he gave us new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out his spirit upon us because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did. Do you realize that you can't have a relationship with God, that you can't know God without the Holy Spirit working in your life? That he is the source of this new life, this new birth. And he brings out the nature of Christ in our lives. That he conforms you and I into the nature of Jesus. Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. What I want you to get about this first function of the Holy Spirit is it's so much more than a one and done. You and I... We kind of think about systems and we think about checklists and we check this thing off the list and we move on. But the working of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is a continual process. You will never graduate from this. He's continually leading us and guiding us and directing us. And the more you grow in the relationship that you have with God, the more you're allowing the Spirit of God to take over more and more control over your life in every area. That the farther you go with God, the less you take with you. I remember over the years, Pastor Grable, that many of you knew, said it's not in trying harder, it's in surrendering more. And it's this continual process of you and I growing in our relationship with Christ. He restores you and I to God. The second one that I want to briefly mention is Acts chapter 9, verse 31, that the Holy Spirit comforts us. That the church, the Bible is talking about this early church in its kind of innocence and infant stage. It says that the church then had peace through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it grew in strength and numbers. And, And we clearly mentioned last week that God was building this church. That they were not growing the church, but God was building this church. And the believers were walking in two things. It says the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord is not this terrifying, afraid feeling, but it's that reverential awe and the understanding that they didn't want to lose what God was doing in their lives and through their lives. And it says they were moving forward in that and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, there are people that are followers of Jesus, they're Christians, but they don't fully understand this idea of comfort in it. To those of you ladies that are here, comfort's like a much bigger word than, than us guys. I'm going to just assume that very few men walked in the room this morning and said, you know, I'm coming to church and I, I just want a deep dose of comfort. I mean, we, we want to do something for God. You know, this idea of comfort is so much bigger to the ladies and, and then at times to the men. But the reality is this, that when you serve Jesus, you're going to need comfort. Though we live in a crazy in a chaotic world. That the Bible doesn't exempt one person in this room from a life free of difficulties. We live in a fallen and a broken and sin-filled world. And as a result, we experience things like sickness and, and disease. As a result, people slip from this life into eternity, both expected and unexpected, as a result of the free will that we have to choose what we do we, as a result, live with the consequences of that sin in our lives. And it affects us, and it affects those that are around us. None of us are free from hurt and pain and suffering. And yet the wonderful promise of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is that the peace of God provided them comfort, and they were moving forward in what God had for them. And I think all of us at times... You've had those moments of your life where it just doesn't th- seem like things are adding up. Things don't necessarily make sense from the outside, but there's this deep abiding peace that carries you through those times in our lives. If that's happened to you, would you say amen? Amen. amen. That there's this deep abiding sense of the peace of God that carries us through those times, that it can be destroying people that are around us. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit, his role is to comfort us and he carries us through those times. I've never fully understood the people that get online and they're constantly posting these articles that is trying to provoke fear in the body of Christ. And, you know, if it's not this disease, then it's this situation or it's that. And and if the motivation behind it is to try to cause fear in the body of Christ. And I would say to you that you and I don't have to fear anything. It's not that we're ignorant. It's not that we walk around and we're just clueless like we're flying and we're dancing up in the sky on the clouds with no two feet on the ground. But the reality is that whatever we face in life, that the Holy Spirit comforts us. He carries us through those times of our lives and we don't have to fear anything. Where the rubber meets the road with our faith is that if we never experience tough time, hurt, pain, and rejection in this life, we'd never fully wonder or or realize the wonderful blessing of the Holy Spirit that comforts us during those times. The Holy Spirit comforts you and I as a believer. The third function of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that the Holy Spirit convicts us. John 16, 7 through 8. But it is actually best for you, Jesus says, that I go away because if I don't, the counselor won't come. And when I do go away, he will come because I will send him to you and to me. And when he comes, he will convince or convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Make no mistake, the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to convict us of sin. God's the judge and our role is to unconditionally love people. And yet how we mess those things up at times. Because to be honest with you, there are times that for me, I've felt it before. You know what? Sometimes it feels a little bit better to force our convictions upon other people. Sometimes it feels better to walk away feeling like we judge someone. But we must understand that God is the judge. That the Holy Spirit's role is to convict you and I of sin. And you and I must be people that walk in unconditional love. This is tough for us. Because there's something in us at times we want to stand up for truth, righteousness, and principle. And yet, this idea of loving people unconditionally, we feel like we're compromising. And I would say that God enables you and I to do both at the same time. That you and I are called to unconditionally love and trust at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict. You say, Well, do you stand for God's word? Absolutely. What the Bible's silent about, I'm silent about. What, but what the Bible speaks, Regarding sin, you and I must speak, and we must represent that with our lives. But not in a better than, not in a judgmental way where we're trying to force people. And, I mean, really, are you going to force somebody into a relationship with God? I mean, seriously. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict. You and I must love people unconditionally. The Holy Spirit reminds us of things that we've done wrong because the role in her, our lives is to make us more like Jesus. To make us more like Jesus. And so it's very important that you realize, because I think at times we all battle, you know, is this the Holy Spirit, you know, challenging me to do something, or is this just kind of the flesh or, you know, Taco Bell last night or whatever I ate, you know? What is. And I would say to you a couple things that you can ask when you're sensing, you know, that you're supposed to do something, sense that you're supposed to say something, sense that you're supposed to respond in a specific way, and you're trying to discern. Because I've heard people before, you know, they try to justify their actions and they say, well, God told me to. The Holy Spirit told me to. And I would say, you know what, if it directly violates God's word, you don't even have to pray about that. I mean, the Bible's not going to, you know, speak so clearly in the idea of stealing. And you come to me as your pastor and say, well, the Holy Spirit's saying that I'm supposed to, you know, steal some money from work. I'm like, really? You don't even have to think twice about that. But a couple of things you could ask. When it comes to this area of the Holy Spirit guiding us and convicting us, and is it biblical? Does it produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, blah, blah, blah. does it produce the fruits of the Spirit and does it glorify Jesus? I think if you're being convicted about a specific area and you feel like you're supposed to do something, if it's biblical, if the, it will produce the fruit of the Spirit through that decision or that action, and that it glorifies Jesus, I think that's a safe assumption that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Because for me, if it's the flesh, it's something carnal. It's kind of feeding you know, my sensual appetite. It's something typically that's easy to do. I think a lot of times you know, what God's asking us to do is definitely not the easy thing to do. So is it carnal? Is it easy to do? Or does it draw attention to yourself? The Holy Spirit's trying to get us to die to self. And I would say if that decision is going to draw attention to yourself, then maybe it's the flesh. A.W. Tozer says, holiness is taught in scripture, is not based upon knowledge on our part. Rather, it's based upon the resurrected Christ dwelling us and changing us into his likeness. The Bible says that he's like a teacher in First John chapter 2. Verse 27 is, for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing you teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not a counterfeit, just as it is taught, you remain in him. That the Holy Spirit knows the difference between truth and error. He knows the difference between lying and deception and pride and carnality. And you and I, can trust that he speaks to us. And yet at times, to be honest with you, we get disappointed when we see people that we would say are mature believers, maybe a friend of yours or someone that you know, and you felt like they should have just got this. You know, they're talking to you about something that's going on in their marriage or something that's going on at work and, and they're talking to you and, and, and it's not lining up with God's word. And you almost expect kind of this high level of spiritual discernment, not the gift of discernment that the Bible talks about, but just general discernment that we have as Christians. And I don't know about you, but at times I've been disappointed. It's in those times that I have to remind myself that spiritual discernment is kind of like a muscle that you've got to exercise. You know, there are people that have been following Jesus for quite a while, yet they they can seem almost at times like they lack discernment. And it's at those times we've got to remind ourselves that in order for us to grow, we must exercise that muscle of spiritual discernment, not try to rationalize things like people do at times, or maybe they'll just live and they trust on other people's discernment, or they just simply go with the flow. And that's not God's best for you. God's best is for you to stretch yourself in the area of spiritual discernment and grow in your relationship with Christ. You know, I've had people over the years after I'll, I'll speak or I'll share something, out of God's word and they'll come back after and they'll say, you know, Zach, that was, I appreciated that and you, you really convicted me this morning. You know, I just feel, you know, I'm just going through this. And I, part of me is like, that's not my role as a pastor. My job is not to convict anybody. My role is to unconditionally love you and challenge you. But the Holy Spirit's job is in the life of believers is that God's words being spoken. He's the one that kind of comes alongside of you. I can do this, Aaron's my sister. But he's the one that kind of comes alongside you and kind of nudges you or shakes you a little bit and says, you know what? We need to be more like Jesus. And as we grow in our relationship with Christ, people, we don't convict one another, but the Holy Spirit, through his word and through our representation of our lives, that he's the one that speaks to us. And it's at those times that conviction uh, is a wonderful thing to have. You should thank God when you're convicted from his words. It means you're still spiritually alive. You know, there are people that they're numb to the things of God. And each and every time, that they hear God's word or someone's praying for them. It's like it's chipping away. You can't ever give up on those people. But there are some and it's like once after another, just over and over and eventually they break. But you and I should be in a rhythm where the Holy Spirit is constantly drawing you and I to be like Jesus because you know what? I'm not like him enough. I'm not like him enough. And we constantly must grow in this area. You think it's challenging sitting and listening to 20 or 30 minutes of a sermon where the Holy Spirit convicts us, I'd say, you know what, 10 hours of preparation. The Holy Spirit breaks you down when you spend time in God's word. Every time I get into God's word and I spend time in it and I pray, the more he's saying, Zach, you've got to be more like me. He's constantly convicting and challenging and shaping me into his likeness. Let's get to some good stuff. The Holy Spirit empowers us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's with you at salvation, but now he comes upon you. And you and I now have power. We have power at salvation, but now we're continually walking in this ability where he's equipping us to do things that we cannot do on our own strength. And I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. And so I was at the blue-white game last week, last weekend. And I'm looking around, and and this illustration came to mind. Uh, Let's just say that I'm your professor, and this is your final exam, this assignment that I'm about to give you, and there's absolutely no way you can get out of this. So what you need to do is on Tuesday at 1 o'clock, I've set up a meeting for you with Coach Franklin and John Donovan. He's the offensive coordinator for the Penn State football team. You can't get out of this meeting. At 1 o'clock, they'll be expecting you, you're going to go into their office, and you must complete this assignment. And here's what you're going to do. You've got to sit down across the table from them, and you've got to challenge them on specific ways based on the blue-white game, whether you were there or whether or not you were there. You've got to, base, you've got to challenge them to improve their offensive game. You've got to give them overall recommendations and suggestions of things to do differently based on the history of college football and what you've seen and observed over the years at a variety of different colleges. You've got to do your absolute best to challenge them to restructure their entire offensive plan, not based on your personal opinion, but based on what's worked over the years in college football. And you must complete this assignment Tuesday morning at 1 o'clock. You can't get out of it. And how many of you, you go home and you'd say there is just absolutely no possible way I mean, I grew up over the years watching football. I was at the Penn State blue and white game. But you know what? There is just no possible way that I'm going to make a compelling argument that's going to cause them to restructure everything. That's absolutely ridiculous. And so you pick up the phone, up, call me Monday morning, and you're like, Zach, you know what? I'm afraid. I'm intimidated. I don't understand how I can do this. There's just no way. These guys live, eat, and breathe football, and you think I'm just going to go strut my stuff in there and change everything, and I'd say, well, there is one piece of information I forgot to mention, that you're not going into this meeting alone, but I've scheduled Scott Frost to go with you. And you're like, who's Scott Frost? Well, he's the offensive coordinator of the 2015 Rose Bowl champion Oregon Ducks, they won by 39 points this past January. Scott will speak on your behalf. Scott's going to pull up a chair. Scott's going to walk into that meeting, and he will make the argument on your behalf. He will speak on your behalf. All you have to do is show up. And now, all of a sudden, you hang up the phone, and you're not as intimidated. Obviously, you'd be intimidated walking into any meeting with Coach Franklin, But you're not as afraid because all of a sudden this expert, this one that should know everything about the offensive plan for football, he's going to come alongside you. He's going to sit next to you. He's going to speak on your behalf. And what have I done? I have now equipped you. I have now resourced you. I've now empowered you to do something that was unthinkable on your own strength. Like being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. I mean, how can any of us do that on our own strength? And yet the Bible says that it's the working of the Holy Spirit that enables us and equips us to become more like him. And the question to us as believers is, what on earth are we afraid of? Because Paul writes to Timothy, his protege, he says, God doesn't give you or me a spirit of fear or timidity but power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline, whatever translation you're reading. That the Holy Spirit in you is for your sake, but the Holy Spirit upon you is for other people's sake. And you don't need to be afraid. I'm sitting at this game last weekend, and I'm looking around, and there's tens of thousands of people sitting in those stands, They're loved by God. They're created in his image. They're coming to our city. They just want to be part of something significant, or maybe they just want to come and they want to drink their worries away on the weekend, and yet they're loved by God. They're created in his image, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, what is wrong with this picture? Who's reaching them? And as I'm praying and I'm thinking about this, the Lord's just challenging me, saying, Zach, it has nothing to do with them. My people must rediscover boldness. They must rediscover their identity in Christ. They must rediscover that God has called you and I to walk in a level of not arrogance, but a level of confidence that that in which we speak of, we speak God's word into people's lives and their situations and, and circumstances, that there's not one believer in this room today that walks through life alone, that when you go to your job, when you walk On campus or through the grocery store, you keep your head up as a believer and realize that God has put you in our city, that you represent Him to a lost and dying world, and it's the Holy Spirit of God that quickens and He empowers you and I to represent Him. Paul says, "My message and my preaching—it was very plain. I didn't use wise or persuasive speeches." But the Holy Spirit was powerful among you. Not because that we're, we get it all right. I mean, the awesome thing about the gospel is God uses us in spite of ourselves. I mean, don't ever take for granted. You know, when you have an opportunity to minister to someone, if you walk away and think you got it going on, God will break that off of you so quick. You must walk away and say, God, if it was not for everything that you're doing in my life, and through my life. There's nothing that you and I can do outside of the presence of God working through our lives. He gives us the ability to have the conversation to take the step, to say no when everybody else seems like they're saying yes, that the Holy Spirit of God empowers us. And then finally, the Holy Spirit directs us. John 14, 26, when my father sends the counselor as my representative, As my representative, my counselor, I mean the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and remind you of everything I myself have told you. Can I state the obvious? That if the Bible says clearly that the role of the Holy Spirit is to counsel us, that why should you and I expect anything else than him guiding and directing us? You were to pick up the phone book or get on, on your phone today and call a counselor in state college. You were to pull up a chair in front of their desk and they'd say, "What brought you in today?" Could you imagine if your response was, well, "I have some kidney stones." They'd say, "Kidney stones? You've got to be kidding me." No, no, I'm here. I want to learn the violin. Or maybe, no, I'm just, I'm just here because I need a mortgage. I want to buy a new house. The counselor would look at you like you're an absolute nutcase. And he'd say, you need a urologist, you need a banker, or you need you know a, a musical teacher. He'd say, my role as a counselor is to guide you. My role as a counselor is to give you direction and to coach you. And the theological word that's used here for the Holy Spirit is this idea of the paracletos, and it's the one that's called alongside to help us. The one that's called alongside to help us. And as the worship team comes back and gets ready to share, I want you to think about this idea. That each and every day of your life, that the role of the Holy Spirit is to guide you, he's to coach you, and he's to direct you. And the wonderful thing about those words... For a counselor is, those words all represent people that are for us. I mean, a coach wants what's best for their players, right? A counselor wants what's best for the person that they're trying to equip and and empower. And the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is that you and I depend on him for direction. As I was praying about this this week, you know, the one specific thought that I had related to this was, That a coach has the ability, basically forces players, you either perform or you're done. You either get it right, or second string or third string will step up and they'll take your place. And yet the Holy Spirit in our lives, he doesn't work that way. He's not just quick and and easy, ah, you didn't get it right the first time, good luck. I'll pull someone else in. No, he's for you. That he wants to guide you. He wants to give you direction. But the difficulty is a lot of times in our lives, we want to take things into our own hands, don't we? He's not going to force you. He's not going to force you to do something. He may break you down. He'll do that at times. But He's not going to force you. It's not like he's, he just wants you to depend on him. Which means you and I have got to surrender our will to his will. Because a lot of people, they want God to guide them. They want God to direct them. They want all of the blessings, all of the benefits, all this fluff that's out there that they see and they read. But they don't want to do their part. And he works in alignment with our will and you and I taking the next step, whatever that next step is for you that the will of God is that as you and I take those steps and a lot of times it's surrendering it's not trying harder it's surrendering more saying God I can't do this there's just no possible way but I've got to trust you I've got to learn to listen to your voice and you know at times if you pray for God to direct and to guide you you know there are times that very quickly he'll put you in a situation where there's just absolutely no possible way you're going to get through that without Him guiding and directing you. So would you just close your eyes for a minute because as I was praying about this this past week, there was just a couple specific things that I was thinking about.